0: David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zeba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zeba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Micah, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. The so king David had brought him from Lodabar from the house of Micah, son of Amiel. When when, <laughs> when Mephosebath, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bade, bowed down to pay him honour. David said, <laughs> I can say this when I practice it. Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, "For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Zebah said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephib- Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. This is the word of the Lord.
1: with me please. There's a, a couple of folk down Hope House, which is where I just was, and Pastor David got dispatched to come running down to fetch me. But I'd arranged for Rhonda to text me. I said, when the Bible reading starts, text me and I'll come straight up. So Pastor David's still down there. Uh pray for him to catch his breath. <laughs> Um, he said, people are panicking, so I'm here. Um, let's take a few minutes to turn and greet one another. Then I'll tell you some news. <laughs> They're meeting about the 10.30 Sunday school class (coughs) and uh, organising things, appointing a coordinator and seeking to identify how many other teachers, helpers do we need. And so that'll come back to us as a congregation because I'm sure there are folk here who can participate in some way. Some of the teachers who are involved are teaching on a, a rotation basis. They teach three weeks and have three weeks off. So there's also a need for at least one other teacher to do some cycle like that and perhaps even helpers. They have different people helping in different ways. Another need they will have is people assisting with leading the open assembly. There are different people with different abilities and different language groups and some of the folk out of the Cantonese congregation, uh, Cantonese is their heart language and English is their second language and some of those folks, mums and particularly the mums, some of those mums are keen to help but they're not confident with their English because the Sunday school is in English, most of it. Younger kids, are some of it's Cantonese apparently. And so they feel a little bit either self-conscious or maybe perhaps even frightened that you know, kids speak better English than them and so they'll be a bit embarrassed about it. So they're not too keen to be teaching and, at the upper level. So you guys who speak good English, uh, some of you might want to think about, pray about, Lord, is this how you want me to be involved in teaching your word? And, uh, there'll be training provided. and <clears throat> So there's a need there, and particularly if uh, we want to be attractive as a congregation to other young families who may turn up and say, what do you offer for kids? Well, then at least we can say, well, we have this program. If we don't have Sunday school, then we'll have to redesign a little bit of what we do offer for young families when they come with kids. Does that make sense? Please pray with us about that, and we'll await for those decisions. I'm telling a story, true story, back in the 1930s. The mayor of New York, Furiella Lagardia, so I assume there's a Newport uh, Airport named after him, Lagardia Airport, he was the mayor back in the 1930s, the worst years of the Depression, all the way into and I think through World War II. So he was mayor of New York for quite some time, in the 30s and the 40s, 1930s, 1940s. And he's a bit of a character. He was only a short guy, always used to wear a little lapel. So I used to call him a little flower. But he's a guy with a, an out there personality. As the mayor of New York, he used to ride the fire trucks. Hm. Why? Well, because he was the mayor of New York and he could. He used to go to when the, the police department were having a raids on things, he would go join them. Why? Well, because he was a New York mayor of New York and he was good. Um, he was very generous. He would, was renowned for taking whole orphanages, every kid in the orphanage, to the baseball game and just entertaining them for the day. He would be paying for it. Um, and even uh, sometimes when the New York papers went on strike, uh, he would go to the radio stations on the Sunday and he would read through the comic section to the kids who were listening who couldn't get access to the newspapers. So he was a mayor who was an out there character and a guy who was loved. One time, 1935, January, January in New York is icy, it's cold, snowy. One night he goes to the local court. So he must have had some legal background because whoever the judge was that night, he sent them home and he took their place. Stood in for them. And the courtroom was filled, you know, 100 or so people, just under. <clears throat> and sure enough, into, he wasn't there very long, before very long, a pretty um, elderly and also unkept lady, a, a lady with issues, obviously, um, you know, disheveled, if that makes sense, came in and um, she was under arrest because she had stolen a loaf of bread. And the grocer, for whom she had sold for, had refused to drop the charges. She was a grandmother. And she explained to the greengrocer, the guy, that uh, her daughter, her husband, the daughter's husband, had left, had abandoned them. Now the daughter had moved home to mum and they had two children, two grandchildren. And now her daughter is sick. Uh, mum, I think, doesn't have a lot of money. The daughter is sick and the two grandkids are starving. So Grandma went and stole a loaf of bread. And Lagardia looked at the greengrocer and he said, Your Honour, it's a terrible neighbourhood. Bad things happening all the time. This lady needs to be punished. as a lesson to everybody else. Laguardia just breathed a deep sigh of relief. He said, You're right. He looked at the lady and he said, I have to punish you. The law is very clear and it's uncompromising. It's unambiguous. It's $10 for 10 years, 10, 10 what? Days? Thank you. Ten days in jail. And while he was saying that, he's reaching into his back pocket, taking out his wallet, and took out the $10, and he put that in his large sombrero hat, which apparently he was renowned for wearing. He says, there is a $10 fine which I now remit, and what's more, I charge everybody in the courtroom here tonight 50 cents, your fine 50 cents, for living in a city where somebody has to steal bread to feed their hungry grandchildren, and the policemen, and the criminals that were there that night, and the people there who were contesting their traffic fines. And even the greengrocer with a red face put in 50 cents. The newspapers the next day recorded $47.50 was collected last night in this local court and given to the lady, the grandmother, um, because of the story and the situation and so on. The the newspaper also reported that all these people gave, including the greengrocer, and after it was collected, everybody stood and gave the mayor a standing ovation incredible isn't it man in authority extending kindness and grace goodness to someone who was down and out and destitute that's exactly what happens in this chapter someone in authority King David extending grace to somebody who was down and out Mephibosheth Warren did extremely well I thought you said at some point wherever he has gone Mephibosheth has another name and I thought you were saying that name Meribbaal the other name. So depending on your version is the way it will be translated. Um, Men on authority extending grace and kindness to somebody who was down and out. And there are parallels there for us. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel falls into four parts. Verses 1 to 4. Can we go to the first, second slide? Falls into four parts. Verses 1 to 4 talks about David and a servant by the name of Zeba a little change verses 5 to 8 it's now David and Mephibosheth then it goes back to David and Zeba 9 to 11 and then the end the last couple of verses are back to David and Mephibosheth a story which has parallels for us what's the background to all of this? Well back in chapter 7 you have David thinking about in a time of peace we don't have any slides you'll find them I hope Ah, grace from a king David is in a time of peace back in chapter 7 he's thinking about what can I do to honour God and he wants to build a temple that was last week this week he's thinking about what can I do to help others and specifically he is thinking of Saul's family and his promises to Jonathan and to Saul way back uh, in Samuel there was an oath given I'll come to that in just a moment There's also a background to this which is not just the covenant which we're going to read in a moment but there is also a custom and the custom was that when a new king came into power they would more often than not kill the family members of the previous dynasty in order to secure their own reign. Now David wasn't going to do that but that's certainly how the kings behaved around them and the family of Saul did not know that. It would appear that they expected that David would come in and do what kings do which is slaughter the families of those who had been reigning but David is acting contrary to the custom and acting according to a covenant an agreement both that he gave to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20 where Jonathan is helping him out in the field and promising to look after him and protecting from his dad from Saul and he makes this uh, request to David that um, I'll be loyal to you but you have to promise me I know that you will not destroy when you come to power you will not destroy my family and David promises and then even to Saul when he catches him one of those times in the cave and David lets him go free 1 Samuel 24 verse 20 says Saul speaking now I realise that you will in fact be king David and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. so now swear to me in the Lord's name that you will not kill my descendants after me or destroy my name from the house of my father so that's David promising to Jonathan and also to Saul that he would not do what kings normally did uh, at that time, and so on. So David is uh, responding to that. He's been thinking about it, and I imagine that as he was riding his horse around, you know, out in the fields or whatever, assuming he had a horse, or as he's inspecting the troops, or he's standing on the balcony of his palace and overlooking Jerusalem, it's a time of peace. And at some point, it connects for him, that is he is in this privileged position because of Jonathan. Because Jonathan was loyal to him and Jonathan had in fact saved him. Jonathan had protected him from the vengeance of his father, warned him and David fled. And now David is the recipient of all these things because of what Jonathan had done. And David's response to that is simply to ask a question. Next couple of slides. David's question is, verse 1, Is anyone still left from the family of Saul so that I can extend kindness to them like I promised? Is there anybody left out of all of this abundance that I can share something with? A search is made. inquiries are made. Eventually, through conversation and maybe searching archives and all sorts of things, it becomes clear that there is a servant of Saul who is still alive, who is still significant. His name is Zeba. He is summoned. He's probably out managing the farm somewhere. He is summoned to the palace. He's summoned to David. We read that in verse 2. Are you Zeba? I am, Your Majesty, at your service. The king said, question, is there, not, is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend God's kindness to him? Zeba says to the king, there is one, there is one boy, name, Jonathan's son, his name is Mephibosheth, but he's crippled in both feet. Nearly every time Mephibosheth is mentioned in the scriptures, also his affliction is also named, but he's crippled. We know how he became crippled because 2 Samuel tells us, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, that when the Philistines had invaded, his nurse uh, picked him up, he was only aged five, and as she was fleeing and running because she thought they would come and kill all of her family, she dropped him. Dropped him in such a way that both of his feet are damaged and they never healed properly. So now he's crippled in both feet, either walking with a limp or maybe with crutches or dragging his feet. We're not told, just simply told that he was crippled in both feet, injured by a fall. Um, There is one boy, Mephibosheth, who all his life is living a distance. He's across the Jordan. He's in a place called Lodabar. Even the name of the place is perhaps meant to be significant. Low debar. Lo means no, not. Debar means pasture. He's in a place without pasture. He's in a barren place. He's hiding. He's been doing so for about 20 years. And I suspect, this is how I read it, and Ziba, who was the manager of the farms of King Saul, when, Zee, uh, when Mephibosheth has fled in hiding to Lodabah, here is Zeba living the high life from all of the lands and all of the farms and all of the crops and everything else that's coming in. He's benefiting from that. And I suspect Paul Mephibosheth isn't. He's simply in hiding. He's glad to be in hiding. He doesn't want to be found because he still thinks David's going to take his life. And so here is uh, Zeba now with David. Is there anybody? Well, yes, there's one. Jonathan's son but he's crippled in both feet he won't fit in round here he's not able body he's not as attractive he's not as competent he's going to be a problem there is one but he's crippled in both feet I think that's what he means behind it. I think he's trying to put David off but David gives a wonderful gracious response where is this son where is he in Lodabar and then David dispatches a group of soldiers to go find him to the house of Makia, somebody else's house in Lodabar when they get there there's a knock on the door and I can imagine Mephibosheth shuffling on crutches somehow coming to the front door and opening it and there are these couple of big hefty soldiers from David's army the king wants to see you and he thinks that's it I'm done I've been found they put him on a cart or a horse or somewhere and they escort him back to the palace because they're all they're under orders and so Mephibosheth verse six when Mephibosheth the son of David the son of Saul came to David he struggles inside and he bows to the ground face down filled with anxiety probably expecting a sword in the back of the neck or something. I'm done. Even though in the conversation coming, I could imagine them on the cart, the soldier saying, David's not going to kill you. Yeah, but I'm Saul's grandson. I'm the heir apparent. If David falls over, has a heart attack or something, then rightfully I'm the previous royal family. He wants to off me. He wants to get rid of me. So I can imagine all this sort of anxiety going inside of him, just like us. He's been hurt by a fall, so have we. He's been in hiding, so are we, people hiding from God. He's been searched for by the king. He's been found and rescued. He's been called into the king's palace. And here he comes, sought for, rescued, found, called, saved, about to receive an inheritance and he's filled with anxiety. He still needs assurance. Just like us and some of us. God has done all these things in our life and we still are uncertain. Still a bit anxious about what is God really like. There is a wonderful verse in um, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 in the New Living Translation which gives you the meaning of it very clearly. It says, Because of Jesus and our faith in him we can now come fearlessly into God's presence assured of his glad welcome isn't that beautiful that's certainly the truth Ephesians 3.12 because of Jesus and our faith in him we can now come fearlessly into God's presence assured of his glad welcome so Mephibosheth has come inside Um, he has bowed down before the king and the David comes to him verse 6 Ephibosheth. Is that you? They don't know each other. They'd never met. Mephibosheth has been in hiding from a king that he has never seen, like us. And Mephibosheth says, yes, at your service. And David says to him, don't be afraid. Just like the Lord Jesus, just like the angels say on numerous occasions, don't be afraid. I intend to bless you, not to hurt you. And David says to him, Uh, Don't be afraid because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. I will give back to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will be a regular guest at my table. Mephibosheth bowed again. Of what importance am I, your servant, that you show regard for a dead dog such as I? Here is this man wounded by the fall, brought in before the king, humbled, given an inheritance, a rich inheritance, and he humbly accepts it. And the most wonderful of all is that you'll be welcomed at my table. Verse 9, he's then also graciously provided for. Zeba, who is not in the room at this time, is summoned. Um, David... Uh, Then the king, verse 9, summoned Ziba, Saul's attendant, said to him, Everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire house I hereby give to your master's grandson. You will cultivate the land for him, you and your sons and your servants. You will bring its produce and it will be food for your master's grandson to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will be a regular guest at my table. Then there's a little note in brackets. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He'd been living high on the hog. He'd been benefiting from all that wealth before. Fifteen sons is a lot of mouths to feed. Twenty servants is a lot. He'd been living the high life. And here he is, servant of Saul, should have been looking after Mephibosheth much better, but wasn't, was his own personal stuff. Now David says, all of Saul's lands and harvest and crops and everything else goes to Mephibosheth. It's his. And he'll benefit from it. He'll eat from it. He'll sell it. He'll distribute it. He'll do whatever he likes. But it's all that wealth is his. And Zeba, you will use your 15 sons and your 20 servants to do so. zeba 's response, verse 11a, you should underline these words in your Bible because they are magnificent and they are appropriate. The Lord Jesus gives an illustration Luke 17.10. He gave the story of If a a farmer is outside and shepherding or whatever, and when the master comes home, what does he say to the servant? Come have a meal with me? No. The master says to the servant, prepare my food, prepare my drink and stand over there. When I have finished eating and drinking, then you can eat. So the Lord Jesus says, so you, disciples, after we have done all of our duty, there is no other praise that is due to us for we are simply humble servants who have done that which we are told. Luke 17.10 Same idea. Well that's what Zebra is saying here. Your servant will do everything that my Lord the King has instructed his servant to do. Butter wouldn't melt in this guy's mouth. Your servant will do everything. It's a great word. And he does it. He is obedient as far as we know and he does perform it but he does so reluctantly And he's a shady character. He doesn't mean these words uh, from his heart. He's now disenfranchised. And that'll come out towards the end of this talk about why I know that, how I know that. So Mephibosheth beautifully was a regular guest at David's table, just as though he were one of the king's sons. That's worth noting. From Lodabar, place of barrenness, the place of nothingness, searched for by the king... Uh, brought in, welcomed, given an inheritance and now sitting at the table and treated like one of the king's own sons, like he's been adopted, just like us. What David does to Mephibosheth is what God has done for us and to us. Um, This kindness, his response to that, verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son by the name of Micah. All the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. Mephibosheth was living in Jerusalem, not Lodavar, for he was a regular guest at the king's table. He moved, moved to town, lived in Jerusalem. Don't know how often, but I imagine all the time, lived in the palace, an adopted son of the king. He, his response was one of acceptance, just like we have to respond. We have to respond to the king's kindness towards us and all the grace that he offers us. All right, so what have we said? Here is a summary. Next slide. An all-out search has been made for him, so too for us. A great kindness has been offered to him, so too to us. He was graciously provided for and he gladly receives it. Great parallels to us. What David does to Mephibosheth, look at this list. He, Mephibosheth, is like us. Next slide. Mephibosheth was born of royalty, so were we. We are made in the image of God. But like Mephibosheth, we are ruined by a fall. Him physically, us spiritually. When our parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, disobeyed, they fell from grace, fell from God's presence, fell from God's glory into sin. And because of Mephibosheth belonged to a family that is the king's enemy, so are we. We are the family of David, of Adam. And they, we are the king's enemies. We, like Mephibosheth, hiding in fear from the king, a king we have never seen, running. We've been searched for and called by the king. We've been found, next, and rescued. We've been brought back to the king by others, just like the soldiers went and got him and brought him back, so others have found us and brought us back to the king because of his mercy. And just like him, some of us will need, still need, assurance of God's grace and kindness that he has displayed towards us. He is welcomed he is restored, given in the inheritance, he is provided for at great cost because grace and kindness is costly like Ligardi or in the courtroom, it's costly someone's got to pay and in our case the king has paid it all. David gave up all the lands of Saul and gave them to Mephibosheth, it's costly so too with our inheritance God gave us his son Mephibosheth humbly accepts the offer. He's adopted to be like the king's son and all of this because of a promise, a covenant to another. But then note this. The end of the chapter tells us that both his feet were crippled. All of these great things have happened to him and he's now living in the palace of the king but he is still carrying the results of the fall. So do we. We still carry the results of our fallen nature. We are not perfected yet. We gather at the table with other fellow sinners who are in the process of being transformed, called saints, but in the process of being transformed, ever increasingly into holiness, more like the Lord Jesus. And just like Mephibosheth, because we are loyal to the king, we will be persecuted or slandered by others, sometimes by those closest to us. In chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, you get this, Another insight into Zeba. This is where David is uh, leaving Jerusalem. Uh, there's been rebellion from his sons. We'll come to that in a few weeks. It says this, When David had gone a short way beyond the summit, Zeba, servant of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, was there to meet him. He had a couple of donkeys that were saddled, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 raisin cakes, and 100 baskets of summer fruit and a container of wine. The king asked Zeba, Why did you bring these things? Well, it's for you, the family, and everybody else as you go on your journey. Verse 3, the king says, Where is your master's grandson? Where's Mekubashem? Zeba replied to the king, He remains in Jerusalem because he said, Today the house of Israel will be given back to to me, my grandfather's kingdom. Today I get it back. Goodbye and good luck, David. Then the king, David, said to Ziba, Everything that was Mephibosheth now belongs to you. Ziba replied, I bow before you. May I find favour in your sight, my lord, the king, the rat. <clears throat> you won't quite get that, but let's go over to chapter 19. When David is fleeing the city, Ziba puts on this great appearance and slanders Mephibosheth and their lies. How do you know that? Well, chapter 19, when David comes back, verse 24. Now, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down to meet the king. For the day the king had left until the day he uh, safely returned, Mephibosheth had not cared for his feet, had not trimmed his mustache, the Lord bless him for having a mustache, <laughs> nor washed his clothes. He was grieving. Outwardly grieving, showing, demonstrating he's not happy, he's not pleased with this. He's awaiting the return of the king, just like us. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he replied, My lord the king, my servant deceived me, Zeba. I said, Let me get my donkled saddle so that I can ride on it and go with the king, for I am lame. But my servant has slandered me to my lord the king, by my Lord the King, is, uh, but my Lord the King is like an angel of God. do whatever seems appropriate to you after all, there was no one in the entire house of my grandfather who did not deserve death from my Lord the King, but instead, you allowed me to eat at your own table. What further claim do I have to ask the King for anything? And then David, perhaps a little hastily, and the king replies to him. Why should you continue speaking like this? You and Zeba will inherit the fields together. Mephibosheth says to the king, Have the lots." My lord the king has returned safely to his house. I don't want the lands or the wealth or the stuff. I'm glad you're back safe. All he wanted was the king and the relationship with David. It's a marvellous demonstration of his love and loyalty. How he was betrayed by his own close servant, by the greedy Zeba. What does this all mean for us? Well, there are parallels as we've indicated but we also need to be reminded God is still at work. What God did through David to Mephibosheth, what God did through Jesus for us, he's still in the process of doing. Still wants it to go on. God is still working, seeking people who are wounded by the fall, people who are dead through trespasses and sin, people who are lost in sin or depravity of sin, hiding, fearful, confused, unsure. What's going on? And so God now calls us as those of us who have responded to his kindness and grace. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are Mephibosheth. Either at the beginning, you're in hiding. You still haven't yet responded to the grace and the kindness that's been offered to you in the person of the Lord Jesus. If that's the case, then maybe you need more information. I'm not sure what it is, but you need to find out or do whatever it is necessary for you to make a response most of us here this morning are Mephibosheth who have responded, we have accepted we do meet at the table of the king um, but there are others who are yet to come Charles Swindle wrote a book on David, a series of sermons and one paragraph in it in this story he says, imagine being inside the palace and imagine the dinner bell being rung
0: ding 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 ding
1: And it echoes through the halls of the palace. And the occupants of the palace are going to make their way to the dining room. And Swindle writes that David comes first, head of the table, sits at the head of the table, and awaits the arrival of others. Ammon, David's son, clever, crafty. You read about him in a few chapters' time. He comes and sits beside David. Tamar, a daughter who is beautiful, charming, Uh, she comes and sits next to Amnon. Across the hall comes Solomon out of his study where he's been reading and studying all day. He he comes, he looks like he's preoccupied but he finds his way to the table. Brilliant Solomon. Then comes Absalom, the long haired black as raven hair, handsome, strong, a gorgeous looking man, comes, sits at the table. Joab is there this time, David's bronzed and muscular general, commander of the troops. He's there for the evening meal. Everybody is there, waiting. And then they can hear the clump, clump, clump of the crutches of Mephibosheth with his feet shuffling, who finds his way eventually and awkwardly to the table, slides into his seat, and then swindle writes beautifully, and then a tablecloth covers his feet. Isn't that a beautiful image? Acceptance and covering at the table of the king. As I told the 830 congregation, I love that analogy, but there's only one thing wrong with it. They didn't have tables and they didn't sit on chairs. So they probably didn't even have tablecloth. How did they sit at the table? They reclined. David came in and would have reclined on a cushion and Amnon came in and reclined at his feet and so on around which means when Mephibosheth came in and reclined at the table he was exactly like all of them that was a natural position for him he was used to that he was now accepted like them it's a beautiful image isn't it That's what God has done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus. So to whoever we meet, randomly, let the kindness and grace of the Lord Jesus that you have received overflow to them. Be David to these other people. Let his kindness in you flow on to the chick-out chicks. Be gracious and nice and patient. When you're driving in your car, particularly in this weather, and traffic is backing up and slow down and let others in. Be gracious. When you're paying for also, when you go to the petrol station, and on and on, you think of the examples, wherever. Is there a Mephibosheth in your family? Someone to whom uh, there's an estrangement, they're distant or whatever, and you need to show kindness to them. You need to initiate the reconciliation. Seek them out. Find them. Invite them in. Be reconciled. Demonstrate God's kindness and grace to them. Target some people. Pray about it. See whom God lays on your heart and mind. And not for these reasons. Don't do it to be noticed. Don't do it to be applauded. Don't do it to get something back, to get rewarded or reciprocated or whatever. Don't do it for those reasons. Do it because you love Jesus and you just simply want to demonstrate and show him To others it's a great story I think this is the best story of David in the Bible and then next week Pastor David is going to come and we're going to learn that David was a man with faults just like us let's pray Heavenly Father thank you that you are a God of kindness and of grace. You are just. There has to be punishment. And you haven't flinched or compromised. You've dealt correctly. Someone has paid the penalty for our sins. And that same someone, our king, has been inquiring about us, searched for us, found us, rescued us welcomed us, gave us an inheritance, gave us a place at his table, adopted us and treats us like family. We are the recipients of grace. Lord Jesus, as you have done to us, open our eyes and enable us to do to others. And may you be glorified and pleased. I pray in your name. Amen.